Romans chapter 9, we'll, we'll read the first five verses and, and, and focus primarily on, on verses 4 and 5. Paul says, I, I tell you the truth in Christ, I am not lying. My conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God, and the promises, of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. We... We began last week by looking at just the, the heart that Paul has for the lost. And even looking at it and, and saying, God, God, give us hearts that are like that. Give us hearts that look at those who are lost, those who are unbelievers, and to look at them and to be able to say with Paul, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying, my conscience bears witness, that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart because I want them to be saved. A heart that, that desires so much to, to see people come to salvation that you look and you just think, I, if it was possible, I'd give up my salvation for them. I, I'm not lying. So, so badly do I, I want them to be saved. I would do anything to to bring them to salvation. And, and this is the love that, that Paul has for the Israelites. Love that more than anything, he wants to see them come to Christ. Heart that I pray that we would have as a church in evangelism, in missions, ministering to people in our workplace, in our home, in our neighborhoods. He say more than anything, I, I, I want them to be saved. And he goes on to describe these people, those he's talking about. He says, who are Israelites? And he begins to list a series of nine different things as far as a description of, of those and the blessings that have come upon these people. These that he wants to see come to know Christ. They are they are Israelites. We see that in John chapter 1 and verse 10. I'm going to make reference to several verses and I'll, I'll try to read through them, but you can jot them down as if you're taking notes. In John chapter 1 verse 10, it says, He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. And when he says that, he's referring to the Israelites. He had come to his own, those that were God's people as far as that nation in which God had chosen. And he says he came to his own and they didn't receive him. These are the Israelites. He goes from there and he says, to whom pertain the adoption? This, this is not the same type of adoption that we find when we, as believers, receive the adoption as sons, we've looked at that in the book of Romans where he refers to the adoption that we have in Christ as we're adopted into his family, brought into his family. He's referring to the adoption, meaning that which is that which has come from that covenant to Abraham and, and to Isaac and to Jacob. It's, it's the calling of an entire nation to, to be those adopted as a child, um, although not all of them were truly saved by faith. We see just in the next verse as we continue on in the book of Romans where he says, for they are not all Israel who are Israel. They're, they're not all God's people. They're not all those that have faith. They're not all those who are saved. But here he's referring to this adoption, meaning like there is this people in whom God called out. This people in whom he, he made his own special nation. We, we find this in as well, like in, in the book of Hosea, in chapter 11, verse 1, where he says, When Israel was a child, I loved him. And out of Egypt, I called my son. As they called them, so they went from them. They sacrificed to the bales and burned incense to carved images. 
It says, I taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by their arms, but they did not know that I healed them. He's referring to this people in whom he's adopted, but he says, I loved them. I called them my son, but they sacrificed to false gods. They made carved images to to false gods. They did these things that were totally and completely against me. They, They didn't know that it was I that had healed them. It was I that had ministered to them. He also makes reference to righteous Israel. Um, in Isaiah 51, verse 1, it says, Listen to me, you who follow after righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the hole of the pit from which you were dug. Look to Abraham your father and to Sarah who bore you, for I called him alone and blessed him and increased him. He's talking to righteous Israel, and he says, You are the ones, look to where the rock from which you were hewn, and that would be the nation of Israel. There's those that were righteous Israel. And they had been brought out of the nation of Israel. And so when he's making this list of all of these people, he's saying, these are those that, that were the Israelites. They were given the adoption. They saw my glory. So you look at the privileges that are here. They saw my glory. We look and we see all through Scripture where God over and over again, reveals himself in all of his glory to his people. Look, and I think of Paul as he's talking about these people and his love for them and his desire for them to be saved. And yet, he looks and he says, they saw all these things and yet were not saved. I've watched people grow up in the church they grew, they, they, they grew up in the church. They grew up in Christian families. Maybe it, it, it is that, that all of the children were saved, but one was not. And, and your heart just breaks for them, wanting to see them come to salvation more than anything. And, and yet you look and you say, they saw the same things. And here Paul, as he's talking about Israel, he's saying they saw these things. Look in Romans 1 where he tells us that since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead so that they're without excuse. Where they've seen, they've seen him. They've seen him in, in his glory as far as in his creation, but yet their hearts were hardened. Look, and I... I I love going and seeing places in which God has created. I mean, just in, in their beauty. You look and, and we spent some time at the ocean this week and just watching um, the waves crashing, watching the dolphin jumping out of the water. Um, I think of, of going someplace and just seeing just incredible mountains or when we go on the youth retreats to Mammoth and seeing just these hills that are just covered, these mountains that are just covered with snow and, and looking at it and, and it, it comes every year and it, it melts and we get some of our water from there and you, you look and you just, you, you get there in the spring and you see all the, the green coming out from, from the the ground and 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 later on in the summer it's just beautiful with all of the the trees and everything that's there and you look and you just think that's amazing how God created these things to be able to look at it and seeing that that these, these plants they take in carbon dioxide they give off oxygen we breathe it in we can eat some of them and it gives us energy and you look and you just see how all of these things take place looking at um, little, little Josie Trost this week and, and, and seeing her and she was just so tiny and, and just looking and just how beautiful she is and, and, and looking and just a, a part of mom and a part of dad and there she is. And you look and, and there's people that, that respond by ain't, ain't nature grand? 
Whereas we look and we look and say, look what God made. Look what he made. People that are seeing the exact same thing. And their response is, wow, evolution did all of this. Whereas we, we would look and say, no, clearly there is a designer. I spent some time with, with an unbeliever this week and just went through and just said, you know, like, the earth, it, it, it demands that there's a creator. This did not happen by chance. And I went through and just gave details of, look, it, does, it doesn't happen by chance. And his response was just like, hmm. Nothing where it was like, yeah, you're, I never thought of it. It was just... You're kind of crazy. How do you not know that, you know, it's all been proven scientifically, and yet we know that that's not the case. And we look and we know that people can see a lot and yet still not believe. You'll hear people say things like, just, if God would just show me a sign, I'd believe. If he'd just show me a sign, if, if he caused lightning to strike that thing right now, I believe. And yet you know that it's not an issue of whether there's enough proof. It's an issue of the heart. If the lightning struck, the response would be like, what's the chances of that? Wish I would have asked for something else. Because it's an issue of the heart. And we see that where Paul's referring to these people and he's saying they saw the glory they saw the glory. In Exodus chapter 3, Moses is there tending the flock of, of Jethro, his father-in-law. And it tells us that the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flame of fire in the midst of a bush. And so he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Moses said, I'll turn aside to see this great sight, why the bush does not burn, and So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, here I am. And then he said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face and was afraid to look upon God. See this here as Moses is there, this bush is burning It's in flames, but it's not being consumed at all. And then God speaks to him. Take the shoes off your feet. The ground you're standing on is holy ground. And you just see Moses' response. He just hides his face from this. God showed him his glory. You look at the Red Sea where God's people are, are being led out of Egypt. And it tells us in Exodus 13 that that the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead the way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so as to go by day and night. He appears to them in his glory, this pillar of, of, of cloud to lead the way, this cloud that would just be over them where they could look upon it and see it and it would move and they would follow it and it would provide them the shade and then at night there was this Incredible pillar of fire to give them light. You see in Exodus 14 where Moses is there and he he stretches his hand over the sea and God caused the sea to go back by a strong east wind all that night and, and, and he made the sea into dry land and the waters were divided. And so the children of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground and the waters were a wall to them on the right and on the left. And it was this cloud that had moved it that brought them this, this, this cloud during the day and this, this pillar of, of light at, at night. And it, it led them to where they're supposed to go. And, and, and they're there and they're complaining and they're complaining even though they're seeing it, even though they're seeing God in his glory, the, the, him revealing himself to them. And they're seeing this take place, something that they had never seen before. And they go and they're there at the sea and the, the waters are divided and they walk through and they see the waters come back upon the Egyptians and, and they're saved and they start singing songs and they start singing praises to them and, and, and they, 
they, they, they say things like, who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness, fearful in praises, doing wonders? You stretched out your hand and the earth swallowed them. You've done all of these things. They saw all of it. And then three days later, Moses brought Israel there from the Red Sea and it tells us that they went three days in the wilderness and found no water and the people started complaining against Moses saying, what shall we drink? What are we supposed to drink? They had just been there to see God in his glory, this cloud, this pillar of light. Seas divided, and now they're saying, what are, we, what are we going to drink? God calls Moses to throw this branch in the water that takes the bitter water and makes it sweet, and they drink it. And it's not much longer in Exodus 16 where it tells us the whole congregation of the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron in the wilderness. The children of Israel said to them, Oh, that that we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat and when we ate bread to the full. For you have brought us out in the wilderness to kill us, this whole assembly with hunger. We're starving to death, Moses. We're starving to death, Aaron. Why did you bring us here? At least we had food when we were in Egypt, even though they were in brutal slavery and and pleading for, for God to to, to rescue them, to save them. And God saves them and, 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 and they see his glory. They see all of these things and then they immediately go back to complaining. Why did you bring us here to die? To starve to death? There in Exodus 16 it says, it came to pass as Aaron spoke to the whole congregation of the children of Israel that they looked towards the wilderness and behold, the glory of the Lord appeared in the cloud. They saw it again. The glory of the Lord appeared to them in a cloud. You see it at, at Mount Sinai there when Moses goes up the mountain and it tells us that a cloud covered the mountain and now the glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses out of the midst of the cloud and the sight of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on top of the mountain in the eyes of the children of Israel. And so Moses went into the midst of the cloud and went up into the mountain. And Moses was on the mountain for 40 days and 40 nights. You look at this and it's just awesome. This, this, it looks just like this fire that's up there. And it's God in his glory there revealing himself to his people. Revealing himself to the nation of Israel where he's just shining there in brilliance. You see Moses say, please show me your glory in Exodus 33. And God says, I'll make all my goodness pass before you, and I'll proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I'll be gracious to whom I'll be gracious, and I'll have compassion on whomever I'll have compassion. And he said, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And he, the Lord said, here's a, place, um, here's a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock, and it shall be while my glory passes by that I'll put you in the cleft of the rock, and I'll cover you with my hand while I pass by, and then I'll take away my hand, and you'll see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And so you see Moses there, and he's able to see just that afterglow of, of, of Christ and, and, and his glory, of God in his glory. And you, and, and you look, and it's just, it's amazing. Even to where, where Moses comes down the mountain, it tells us that the skin of his face shone while he was talking, and and Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, and behold, the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to even come near him. He's coming down the mountain, and he's just glowing. And it wasn't figuratively speaking. He literally was glowing from seeing the glory of God. And God's people saw this. Israel saw this. We find that in Leviticus 16, God's glory is there above the mercy seat. He says, I will appear in a cloud above the mercy seat. See again in 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 10, the glory of the Lord fills the house. Solomon dedicated the temple. And it tells us that God's glory filled the temple. It tells us when, in, in 2 Chronicles 7, 1, when Solomon had finished praying, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the temple and the priest could not enter the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed their faces to the ground on the pavement and they worshiped and praised the Lord saying, 
for he is good and his mercy endures forever. They saw it. They saw it. Not only did they see it, but they passed these things down. They wrote them down. They were so careful to record all of these things as they were inspired by the Holy Spirit and perfection to give to their kids. And they said, remember these things. They built, they built monuments in different places These with the rocks. Remember what God did here at Jordan. Remember these things. You see what takes place with the, the Passover. Do this. Remember that God passed over his people. God's people would have been passing these things down. Put it on their, their forehead. Write it on the post. Everywhere, make it so that your children know these things, that they know these things. They know what I've done. They see these things. Seen his glory. So Paul, when he writes this, he's saying, these are the Israelites to whom pertain the adoption and the glory. They saw it. Look, and God's glory continues to be revealed. See, in the New Testament, it's the same thing in Matthew 17 where there's there, they're there at the transfiguration and it, it tells us that God, a voice came out of a cloud again. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him, hear him. It tells us when the disciples heard it, they fell on their faces and were greatly afraid. But Jesus came and he touched them and said, arise, do not be afraid. And when he had lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. The glory of God coming there in person of Christ there at the transfiguration. Looking in and once again in a cloud. The consistency that is there all through scripture where God in his Shekinah glory is appearing to the people. They're seeing this. We heard in Jesus' prayer in John 17, Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which you have given me, for you have loved me before the foundation of the world. I want, I want my people to see my glory. I want them to see it. And we will. And we do. I think of all of the appearances, God in his glory through the Old Testament. And the tendency for us is to say, I want to see that. I want to see that. And then to have God tell us things like, like 2 Corinthians 4, 6, for it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. He commanded light to shine out of darkness and to shine specifically into your hearts. Think of what it is to be a believer, what it is to be saved, what it is that God has done for us. And, and here, here Paul is referring to those that had seen all of these things and yet they don't believe. And then you look at us and all those who have gone before us who are saved and, and God tells us that, that God commanded light to shine out of darkness and to shine specifically into your heart. To give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ to you. To where you're able to see him. A sweet thing it is to, to be saved and to know what salvation is. A sweet thing it is to be able to be one who was once an enemy of, of, of God. But then to know that God has changed you. To where once you, you didn't care at all about the things of God. This, this man that I was talking to this last week was saying, I'm a good person. I'm a, I'm a good person. I, mean, I, I try to be the best person ever. I don't do bad things. I'm a good person. And you hear people and you, you may think that those were the same words that once came out of my mouth. I used to say those things. I used to say, I'm, I'm a good person. I'm not like those other people. I'm not, I, I'm, I mean, if anybody can go to heaven, I'll go to heaven. I'm a good person. I don't do bad things. And then all of a sudden you see your sin as God presents it in his word and you're looking at it and just saying, I'm a sinner. And your eyes are open to where you know that you need a redeemer. 
You know you, you need someone to forgive you of your sins and it points you to the cross and you read God's word and God's word affects your heart to where you just cry out to him, Lord, save me. Lord, have mercy upon me. Lord, forgive me. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and you rose again on the third day. I believe it all. I believe that you can forgive all of my sins and make it so I can spend eternity with you in heaven. And you know that when you say things like that, those are words that never would have come out of your mouth prior to it when you were still dead in your sins. But there was a change. There was a God who commanded light to come out of darkness, to shine in your heart, to give you the light of the knowledge of the glory of God. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ to where like the disciples who were there at the transfiguration where they're falling on their faces afraid and Jesus goes and touches them and says arise don't be afraid and it just gives us a sweet verse in verse 8 of Matthew 17 and when they lifted their eyes they saw no one but Jesus only. They saw no one but Jesus only and you know what that's like. To have your eyes open to where you look and you look and you see no one but Jesus only. And you just think, my only hope in this salvation, in this life, is Christ. The light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I I think of Revelation chapter 1 where we're there in heaven and it tells us that his, his head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice is a sound of many waters, and he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And when he saw him, he fell at his feet as dead. But he said, but, but he laid his right hand on me, John says, saying to me, do not be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I'm alive forevermore. Amen. I have the keys of Hades and of death. And you just look and here's John there before God and he sees him in all of his glory and he's petrified just like Moses would have been or just like Aaron was or just like God's people were just scared, falling down. I'm so afraid right now. And to hear our Savior say, don't be afraid. You can see my glory. Don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last. I'm he who lives and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. I have the keys to Hades and death. I have salvation. Don't be afraid anymore. We will see the glory. The Israelites saw a shadow of the things that were to come. A shadow of the reality that was to come. Paul's saying they saw these things. They had the covenants. Next thing that they mentioned there, number four, they have the covenants. We see that it's it's over 250 times that God uses that word covenant in the Old Testament. I'm making a covenant with you. I'm making a covenant with you. I'm making this covenant that, that is telling you this is what I'm going to do for you. It's not like a covenant in which it's, okay, you, you hold up your end of the deal. I'll hold up my end of the deal. And if you do your side and... And I do my side, we'll be okay, but we're making a deal. You, we'll bargain, we'll talk about it, and, and then we'll, we'll come up with, with a contract. We'll come up with a deal. That's not how God's covenants work at all. You see, God is a, is, a, is a covenant maker, and he's a covenant keeper, and he's the one who does it. He says things like, like to Abram, in Genesis chapter 12, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I'll show you. I'll make you a great nation and I'll bless you and make your name great and you shall be a blessing and I'll bless those who bless you and I'll curse him who curses you and in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Abram wasn't looking for him. Abram was was worshiping false gods and God comes and says, get out of your country. Go to a place that I'm going to show you. I'm going to bless you. Through you, all of the nations of the earth are going to be blessed. It's coming from you. I'm making a covenant with you. This is what's going to happen for you. You see again in, in Genesis 15 and verse 5 where he says that God brought Abraham outside and said, now look towards heaven and count the stars if you're able to number them. 
He said to him, so shall your descendants be. And it tells us, and he believed the Lord and it was accounted unto him for righteousness. Look at the stars. Can you, can you number them? That's what your descendants are going to be like. And it's this awesome picture that if, if we understand the culture at that time, we, we would understand what God was doing here. And that's this, this culture that would, would have these vassal treaties that would take place where if, if Chris was a king of, of a particular country and I was a king of a country, and no offense, but if, if I conquered you, you only have one arm right now. So if I conquered you, it wouldn't be hard. I think I could do it right now. Just good punch to the shoulder, right where you got surgery. I'd be okay. I, I conquered you. I would go and we would make a deal. We would take, we would take animals, kill them. We'd cut them in half. We put one half of the animal on one side. We put another half of the animal on another side. And then we'd walk in between the animals. We'd look at this. We'd make a deal. We'd look at this and we'd say, here's the deal. If you break your side of the contract, of the covenant, may the same thing happen to you that has happened to these animals. And if I break my end of the covenant, may the same thing happen to me. Be killed just like these animals. And you see here when, when God's making this covenant with, with Abraham, we're told that the Lord said, says I, He says, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeas to, to give you this land to inherit it. Abraham says, Lord, how shall I know that I'll inherit it? And he said to him, bring me a, a three-year-old heifer, a, three, a three-year-old female goat, a, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, a young pigeon. And he brought all of these to him, and he cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other. And it goes on, and it tells us that when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, horror and darkness fell upon him. In Genesis fifteen seventeen, it says, And it came to pass when the sun went down, and it was dark that, behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. And you might say, what is, what, why does that matter? Picture it. All of these animals cut in half. Everybody knows this is how the treaties work between kings. I mean, it's, it's, it's well documented historically. This is how they did things. And here they are, and it's Abram, or it's, it's, it's Abram and, and God, and, and they're to walk through making this covenant with one another, and God has Abram fall into a deep sleep. Has him fall into a deep sleep. And there it is that God in his glory, this smoking oven, this burning torch, goes through alone. The whole point of that is God saying, Abram, you can't do it. There's no way you're a covenant breaker. There's no way that you could keep any of the covenants that I make with you. I'll do it. I'll go by myself. I'll go through these animals. If this covenant's broken, may the same thing happen to me that has happened to these animals. But I am a covenant keeper. I will go through because you can't do it. If you try to do it, you're going to die. If you try to do it, this will be you. You can't do it. I'm going to have you fall into a deep sleep because you cannot walk through with me. And here Paul's looking at this saying, and he gave us the covenants. He gave us these covenants. Look, and covenants that are given to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to David. In 2 Samuel seven twelve, it says, When your days are fulfilled and, and you rest with your fathers, I will set up your seed after you who will come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. And he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And your house and your kingdom shall be established forever before you. Your throne shall be established forever. That there was going to be this one coming from the very beginning when it talks about how... From the seed of the woman, the serpent's head was going to be crushed all the way through. You see that lineage going through. These covenants that were made. Time of Noah, all the way through to where you look at the covenants made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. To the covenant that's made with David. Saying, it's coming from you, David. It's coming from your house. It's going to be a king and he'll reign forever. 
the covenants were given to him. These covenants that mattered where you, you look at Mary there, the little virgin Mary who's there, and, and this angel comes to her. She's a young girl, and this angel comes to her in Luke 1, 30, where it says, the angel says to her, don't be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God, and behold, you'll conceive in your womb and bring forth a son, and he shall... And, and shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be the son, be called the son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of his kingdom there will be no end. The angels come and the first thing the angel says to Mary is this is the one in which all of the covenants had been talking about. All of them. He's coming. You think of Zacharias in Luke 1, where he's filled with the Holy Spirit and he's prophesied saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. He's raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. And he spoke by the, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant. To remember his covenant, this covenant that was made. And so Paul's looking, saying, they had the covenants. They had the law. Number five, what advantage then has the Jew? Romans 3 says, what advantage then has the Jew? Or, or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the the oracles of God, the very words of God. What advantage is it to be a Jew? They had the words of God. They had his law. We look at Deuteronomy chapter, chapter 4, and, and it, it tells us, has there ever been anything like this that has happened before? Has anybody ever heard the voice of God speaking out of the midst of a fire as you have heard and, and live? Has, has this ever happened before? And the answer would be no. I mean, you think of, at that particular time, those that had lived all over the world and yet God came specifically to these particular people and they gave, he, he gave these people his law and the people are looking, has this ever happened before? The answer would be no. They also had the next thing, number six, the service of God. In Hebrews 9, it's the best passage to describe this. In Hebrews 9, verse 1, it says, Then indeed, even the first covenant had ordinances of divine service in the earthly sanctuary. For the tabernacle was prepared, the first part in which was the lampstand, the table, the showbread, which is called the sanctuary, and behind the second veil, and the part of the tabernacle, which is called the holiest of, of, of all, which had a golden censer and the Ark of the Covenant overlaid on all the sides with gold, in which were the golden pot that had the, the manna and Aaron's rod that budded and the tablets of the covenant. They had the service of God. They had these things. We look, and, and when it's talking about they had the service of God, literally they're there, and, and God tells them how to worship him. He tells them, this is what you're to do. This is how you're to, to worship him. He tells them how to build the temple. He tells them what to place in the ark. He tells them, this is what you're to do. You can go into this place, but no further. And then once a year, you can go to this place. And these are the sacrifices that you bring. He goes through and gives them all the detail as far as, this is how you're to worship me. And and. Paul's saying, this was special for them. You, you look in, in Numbers 16 where there's these people that gather against Moses and Aaron and, 
And they say to Moses, you, you take too much upon yourselves, for all the congregation is holy, every one of them, and the Lord is uh, among them. Why do you exalt yourselves above the assemblies of the Lord? Why do you guys, Moses, Aaron, you guys get all these special jobs. You, God tells you, do things like this, and, and, and you do things, and, and, and you're the only ones that get to do it, and we don't like the way that you do it. You're doing it all these ways. And Moses and Aaron saying, God has said to do it this way. And they're saying, we don't care. We want to do it our own way. We, we're going to do it our own way. And so they do it their own way. And, and what happens? It tells us that the earth opens up its mouth and swallows them up and their households and all of them, all of them down alive into the pit and the earth closed over them and they perished among all the assembly. Killed immediately. You, you get the idea that it matters. The service of God matters. It matters how God says to do things. He's very particular how he says to do things. Look and in number 17, God says for, for Aaron to take his rod and he causes the rod to blossom. And and then God says, take that rod. I want you to see that there's a right way to do it. I just consumed all these people. Take the rod that blossoms and put it there, the ark. May this be something that reminds you constantly, like this is how you're supposed to worship. Why does God do this? Because he's pointing us to Christ who is to come. All of it, everything, every part of it is pointing us to Christ who is to come. That there's no other way of worshiping God but through Christ. All of these things are pointing to Christ. They're given the promises, number seven. And you find it all throughout scripture, these promises. Um, Isaiah 7, behold, a virgin will conceive and bear a son. Shall call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. Isaiah 9 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. There's a child that's going to be born, he will be called Mighty God. He'll be called Everlasting Father, he'll be called Prince of Peace. Micah 5 2. He would be born in Bethlehem. He'll be from everlasting. Zechariah 9 9. He'll come lowly riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. Zechariah eleven twelve. He'll be betrayed for thirty pieces of silver. Zechariah twelve ten. They'll look on him whom they have pierced. All describing the promises of the Redeemer, the Messiah, who was to come. And there's hundreds and hundreds more. Paul's saying they were given the promises. Of whom are their fathers? Number eight, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. They have all of these to look at as far as the lineage going all the way through. And we look and we see people who are unbelievers and, and they have opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to come to know Christ. You look at the number of saints that have gone before him, the way God has worked, and, and Paul's just looking at them that they had all of that. My heart breaks for them. My sorrow is continual. They, they see these things, and yet they don't believe. And the last thing he says, and from whom... According to the flesh, Christ came. It was from the people of Israel. According to the flesh, Christ came. Who is over all the eternally blessed God. What a picture of his deity. Not only... Not only were they the Israelites... And not only did they have the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the law and the service of God and the promises and the fathers that have gone before them, but Christ came from them. Christ came from him who is over everything. He's God. He is the eternally blessed God. And yet they have not believed.
we look and we just see Paul looking upon them saying, I want them to come to know Christ. They had all of these things and yet their hearts were still hard. They saw the glory and then three days later they complained. They saw these things and then they worshipped false gods. Moses is going up onto the mount to receive the Ten Commandments and they're making graven images for themselves down below. You see all of these things taking place and, and Paul's looking at them saying, I'm not lying, telling the truth. I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. I want them to be saved. I think of our congregation here, and I think that there could be people who are here that listen to the sermons every week. Um, they sing the songs. They begin with a call to worship. They, they stand up. We read together. We hear the preaching of God's word. And yet... The Bible tells us there's those that will come and he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. The the Israelites had seen all of those things. They had heard all of those things. And yet they were so far from God. The amazing news of the gospel, good news is that Whosoever would come to him, he would in no ways cast out. The good news of the gospel is that whosoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. You know people who will say, I'm a Christian. My grandpa was Baptist. Part Baptist, part Lutheran. My grandma was Lutheran. Because they think that it's somehow passed down. Or they think, no, I'm a Christian. I, I know these things. I know, I know Jesus died on the cross. I know he rose again from the dead. I go to church on Christmas. I go to church on Easter. And yet, there's no fruit in their life that looks at all like the Holy Spirit is residing in them. There's no fruit that's coming from their life as far as the fruit of the Spirit. There's no, there's no hatred for sin. There's no desire to repent. There's no longings to obey His commandments. There's no heart that desires to just worship Him in spirit and in truth and all that is within us. And for anybody that would fit into that category... Honestly, we have great sorrow and continual grief in our hearts. We want you to be saved. All of the things that you can put on your resume as far as the things that you've done are nothing. Your salvation comes by faith alone and the work of Christ alone on the cross. It doesn't matter what you've done. It matters in whom is your faith placed. Is it that he paid the price for all of your sins and gives you all of his righteousness? He's your Lord and he's your Savior. You hear Paul talking with the Jews in Philippians where he says, if anybody should have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so than you. I was circumcised on the eighth day. I was of the stock of Israel. I was of the tribe of Benjamin. I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. Concerning the law, I I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, I persecuted the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, I was blameless. 
But when things were gained to me, these I've counted lost for Christ. Yet also, indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. You could take my, my list of here's the things that I've done in it doesn't reconcile it at all with what he has done. Have no confidence in the flesh, but look and say, I count this stuff as rubbish in comparison to knowing Christ, my Lord. I, I know him, his death and his resurrection, and my faith is in him alone. I have no confidence in my own flesh. I have no righteousness that's of my own. It's a righteousness that came from Christ to me and that is the gospel. Salvation in Christ, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who became man and died on the cross, taking our sins upon himself, rising again on the third day, that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And Paul's saying, I just want them to be saved. And if he were here today and there was one person in this room who was still without Christ, He would say, I tell you the truth, I'm not lying. There's great sorrow in my heart for them. I would give up my own salvation for them if it were possible. I want them to be saved. We hold the gospel. The Israelites saw just incredible displays of God's glory, and yet they did not believe. Some of them. And some of them did. And some of them did. Many of them did. I think we could go around the room and find many who aren't Gentiles but are Jews who have been saved. My wife included. And you see the faithfulness of God. Commanding light to shine out of darkness to give a light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we love the gospel. We love you. I pray that once again, you would create within the hearts of your people here a love for the lost that drives us towards this heartfelt, passionate evangelism. May we proclaim the good news. May we send out people to proclaim the good news. And I pray for each person in our congregation this morning. May, be, may today be a day in which we make our calling and we make our election sure as you call us to do that. Oh Lord, we love you. We love the gospel. We pray and call upon you to change hearts. And as believers, we give you all the glory, all the glory for our salvation and you commanding light to shine out of darkness, to shine in our hearts, to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for enabling us to taste of your glory through Christ. We had We would never have done that apart from you, Lord, in your grace. May you now be worshipped with all that is within us. In Jesus' name, amen.